Populations are shifting in all directions, and e-tailers must adjust. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic and resulting recession is causing all sorts of changes to the demographics of retailing. The changes are especially of interest to e-commerce providers who need to tweak their supply chains to ensure rapid fulfillment of orders to impatient customers. Meanwhile, competition is heating up between e-commerce and -and brick-and-mortar supply chains over control of the last mile. Joining me on this episode to lay out all the changes is Mark Stanton, General Manager of Powerfleet. We're going to talk about the complications that ensue when consumers migrate from urban centers to rural and suburban areas and vice versa. There's no one set of solutions that satisfies all of the conditions that have to be met. In other words, it's complicated. Here's my conversation with Mark Stanton. Mark Stanton, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. Happy to be here. Mark, what kinds of shifts are we seeing in U.S. population patterns that have an impact on e-commerce and -and brick-and-mortar retailers? Well, that's a very interesting question because it depends on who you believe and what you read. There is an awful lot of articles out there, as I'm sure you're aware, Bob, that talk about people leaving cities, moving to suburban and even more rural areas. I think that shift is happening in the data actually proves it out in certain areas, but I also feel that that shift is going to continue. And I, I don't think that we're going to see that many people you know, flooding back to the cities in 6, 12, 18 months. Mm-hmm. Time will tell, but it's definitely happening. Now, what is driving that change, that trend? I think there's a number of things. I think COVID-19 has a part to play in it. I don't think it's the only reason, but I do think that's part of it. There are other circumstances. Remote working, which I think has been accelerated by COVID-19, is also part of it. It really does enable you, me, and many, many others to work wherever we really want to. In fact, a a good friend of mine, just as an example, he's relocated to Hawaii. He said, not a problem. As long as you work Eastern Standard Time, we don't care where you are in the world. Mm -hmm. That maybe is a bit extreme, but that's just an example. I think COVID-19, as I said before, I think the technology that's available, whether that's Zoom, Teams, and all the other things that we do now, and I think people are becoming much more accustomed to collaborate across the computer and not just across the desk. So that being the case, then, how are e-commerce and retail supply chains adjusting to the shift? That is really something I think we're all struggling to understand. It's such a broad question, and I don't mean to be difficult. It's very difficult to really put a pin in it, right? If you look at... E-tailers, retailers, always the same names, the Walmarts, the Amazons of the world, Targets, etc., even Dollar General and all those others, they're all making changes to their supply chain. They have done for years and they will continue to do so. Whether that's building smaller distribution centers in different parts of the country than they were before, or expanding bigger ones, turning stores into e-fulfillment centers nowadays. I think you may have seen an article recently by Walmart 
was converting a store in the Dallas, Texas area, if I remember correctly, into an e-fulfillment where you, know, you can place your order, you go and drive up and pick it up from there. You can't go mm-hmm. into the store to actually shop. <laughs> you actually pick up your delivery, so to speak. The entire store has been transformed into that? It's not a walk-in store anymore at all? It is being transformed into exactly that. Yes, Bob. So you will not be able to walk in there once it's all completed. You will not be able to walk in there and shop in this particular Walmart store and buy your produce. What you will do is go online, order it, and it will be available for you to be picked up at that location. It will not be a store, a retail store as we know it and love it today. That's an example of how Walmart are responding. It's one of a few that they're putting together. Other companies like Target, etc., are doing different and or similar things to talk, test these ideas out in the marketplace. Well, that's interesting because another trend we hear about is the dual purposing of stores. They remain walk-in retail outlets, but a portion of the retail footprint is set aside for e-fulfillment. So they're doing double duty. Do you see that as also a, a parallel trend? I do. I think what we're seeing is a number of trends or trials that are being put together to determine if there's one or maybe more than one that might be more appropriate, depending on geography, which is important, and also the demographics in that geography. I mentioned this particular store. It's in the Dallas area, I think North Dallas. That may be a perfect solution for that particular area, but you may find, or in this case, Walmart might find that some dual-purpose retail would be better suited in a different area for whatever demographic or other reasons, right? Mm -hmm. My point is I don't think we're going to see one size fits all. I think we're going to see two or three or four initiatives being implemented throughout the U.S. and potentially different implementations in different parts of the globe, whether that's Europe. As you can tell from my, my accent, I'm from the U.K. There might be different implementations depending where we are in the world. Well, getting back to the migration question, I guess it depends on where these people are migrating to. Are they going to suburbia? Are they going to rural areas, like very outlying areas or agricultural areas? Just how far away are they getting from city centers? Do you have a sense of that? Again, I think there's a fairly even split, again, from the data I've seen. And the the data I'm seeing is public domain. So I don't have a crystal ball, (laughs) Bob, I wish I had. But I think the data that I'm seeing and the references and such like are saying that you know, there are a lot of people moving out of the cities, whether that's New York, Chicago, San Francisco, L.A., etc., into more suburban and or rural areas, uh, Montana and Arizona and other places like that. So I think it's going to be a fairly general mix. I think one of the key factors that people are considering as to where they're going is does that location, wherever it happens to be, does it have the infrastructure to allow high-speed internet into the home or wherever they're living so that they can be remote working. It's pointless living in the middle of rural Kansas, for example, if you don't have a reliable and or high-speed internet into your building, into your, into your house, mm-hmm. because you're going to be challenged, right? So there's those things. So the infrastructure of the country, whether that's telecommunications as well as the infrastructure road and other things, needs to be there or be available in, over a reasonable period of time to enable that migration to really happen. And I don't think it can happen on its own without that infrastructure being there. I'm thinking those of us who live in urban centers tend to take for granted access to Wi-Fi and infrastructure of the, of the kind that you just described. And we would be surprised to learn how much of the country doesn't have that type of connection. I suppose that is the case, right? It is the case. I think I read something a few days ago from memory. I think it was like 45 or 50 percent 
of the general U.S. population does not have access to, I think it's 45% of the U.S. population doesn't have access to high-speed internet. Now, when you think about it, that's a huge number. I mean, if there's 300-plus million people in this country, let's call it 100 million people, maybe 125, that generally speaking is in the very rural areas. So if you're going to move to some small little town in Arkansas or Montana or whatever else, if they don't have that infrastructure, that makes it challenging. So it's something to, to think about and consider. I would think that Walmart, of all the retail chains, might have an edge over others because it built its entire identity out of stores that were located outside of urban areas. Therefore, I would think they already have at least the physical store infrastructure in place to reach a good percentage of the population. Is that not the case? Oh, I think that's very true. I think Walmart, if you follow them over the years, like them, dislike them, or whatever the case may be, but I think one of the things they've always had as a significant benefit to their business is an incredibly robust store retail, but also the supply chain behind that retail environment. Distribution centers, RDCs, various others all over the country. So they have the infrastructure behind the retail, and they have a, a huge retail environment. Is it 44, 4,600 stores? nationwide. They're in probably every town or just outside every town and city in the country. So yeah, they, I think they do have a leg up. Absolutely, they do. But then you have to have not just the infrastructure, as you pointed out, for Wi-Fi and the physical store, but the means of delivery. I'm assuming that we're not going to be entirely looking at the purchaser going to these centers to pick up stuff. They want to want stuff delivered to their door. Do these outlying areas have sufficient numbers of people, number one, and delivery trucks and other types of equipment necessary to, to carry out that job? My honest answer to that question is probably not today, not everywhere today. That's going to be part of the growth, I think, in the last mile delivery, whether that's the FedEx and the UPSs of the world or even USPS, for example. I mean, USPS today, as you all know, deliver to every zip code in the country, including throughout Alaska, etc., as they have to by government edict, by Congress. So it, it could be an opportunity for somebody like the USPS to be or to help be that last mile delivery. If they're going to deliver your mail Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, why not deliver your groceries as well? Mm. I don't work for the USPS. I couldn't tell you whether that's something they're considering, but that's something that might overcome the initial boundaries or barriers that we have today. Amazon are doing this. I mean, you've seen, I see more prime vehicles on the road now than I did six months ago or 12 months ago. And I only see that number growing. Definitely. Um, of course, in urban centers, we see them. I wonder to the extent to which that they're present in outlying areas as well. I haven't been traveling. Nobody, I don't think many people have been traveling too much this year and the last year, I should say. But I think there are many of them out there in rural as well as urban, suburban environments. Now, are there enough to, to fulfill everybody's desires now and over the next six, 12 months? Probably not. Companies like Amazon, Walmart, amongst many others, and the USPS, as I mentioned, plus the carriers like the FedEx and the UPS of the world, that I'm sure they all see this as an opportunity to grow and expand their distribution networks, which are significant. I mean, they are enormous networks in the U.S. Well, now we've talked specifically about the possible advantage that Walmart has, but I wonder just in general, how do you think these changes impact competition between brick-and-mortar retailers generally and e-commerce supply chains? Who has the advantage when a trend like this manifests itself? I'm not sure that one has an advantage over the other. I think really the way I would describe it is that 
those organizations, and we can continue using the same names that everyone does, I think those organizations, every one of them, have an opportunity to either change what they do, adapt how they're doing it to fulfill that need. Some are going to be more successful than others. Some might be a little quicker to the market than others. But I don't think that one necessarily has an advantage over the other. I think the approaches might be subtly different, but I think they both have equal opportunity to fill the void, if you will, to, to fill the need of the consumer, which is really what we're talking about. It's consumer-driven, this whole yeah. thing. Well, if the stores, if the big box stores are fulfilling from their own physical retail footprint in many cases, the pure play e-commerce companies like Amazon, they're going to have to build their own facilities. I mean, maybe they already have. I mean, Amazon has so many giant distribution centers already. Are those sufficient to meet these needs or are they going to need to build additional facilities as well out there? I think Amazon absolutely will. I mean, I, again, I saw an article recently, probably two or three weeks ago, that said that Amazon were building as many as a thousand smaller, not necessarily small, but smaller distribution centers, not million square feet necessarily, maybe 150, 200,000, which is still not, in, you know, not small by any means, as again, to fill the gaps, if you will, in that supply chain so they can get that product, whatever it is that you want as a consumer to you, maybe within a few hours, let alone within a few days. The e-tailers are doing it, the retailers are doing it, whether they're using existing infrastructure, whether that's warehousing and distribution, or as I said before, converting retail stores to be a regional smaller distribution center, or as you said before, having a retail store that's being both an e-fulfillment as well as a retail, like they are today. I think, as I said before, there are a number of approaches that each organization or organizations can do depending on the infrastructure they have today and where they want to go in the next six to 24 months. So there's a massive boon out there. And then I, I hear it's going in the other direction, too. I mean, meanwhile, back in the cities, we're seeing the opening of smaller distribution centers right in the middle of urban centers, as opposed to the idea of fulfilling urban orders from an outlying giant distribution center. Micro-fulfillment centers are very small DCs to serve urban residents. So that, again, is a parallel trend, right? Exactly. I think it just maybe further ex- explains why I don't think there's one solution to the problem, so to speak, or to the opportunity I think there's going to be different solutions depending on geography, demographics, etc. For example, malls, right? Simon Malls amongst others. There's examples where some, if not all, of the mall has been taken over and converted into a distribution center for a particular company, whether that's an e-tailer or retailer. Now, that mall, generally speaking, is going to be close to some urban or suburban or even it could be in the middle of a city, right? I think we might be seeing some a transition from the original footprint to a new footprint, enabling that e-fulfillment to be uh, consumed much closer to the consumer. To what extent is technology and automation making possible these shifts in a way that might not have before? And if it is indeed doing that, what form is that technology taking? Wow. Okay, so I'll I'll try and keep this brief. I think from a technology perspective, there are a number of things that are going on today. You hear it, it's on TV almost on a minute-by-minute basis about 5G, new networking, which is faster bandwidth, reduced latency, etc., enabling a great deal more data to be sent over the wireless network. So providing telemetry, i.e., where is my vehicle, what is on my vehicle, i.e., where's your product on my van, where is it, who's driving it, is it being driven safely, is it on time? All those things become 
much more available to the business and then much more available to you and I, the consumers, so that we know exactly where our thing is, maybe throughout the whole supply chain. That visibility, I think, can enable a significant improvement in customer service as well as product delivery and so on. And then we start talking about maybe more futuristic stuff like drones, as an example, where don't worry about it being on a van. It's going to be flown to your front door, your small package of whatever it might be. So, again, I think these things are all going to come to pass over the next, well, some of them are available today. And I think the networking and the communications infrastructure is in place and becoming much more broadly in place to enable those things to happen over the next 6, 12, 24 months. Amazing how complex the issue of last mile delivery is given the variations in population and geography in this country. But Mark Stanton of PowerFleet, thanks so much for helping us to understand just how complex it is and how these solutions might manifest themselves in the future uh, and years to come. Thank you very much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Bob. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. That was my conversation with Mark Stanton of PowerFleet, talking about the shifting demographics of e-commerce shoppers. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time. <laughs>